Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everybody. It's Monday, my favorite day of the week, and I'm so grateful and glad that you're joining me today because it's going to be a terrific show. So attention, if you're a writer, if you're a reader, this may be the show for you. My guests today are the co-founders of Quabbin Quills, and that includes Steve Piscatello. Oh, gosh, Steve, didn't I tell you? Steve Piscatello and Garrett Zecker. You know, I, I can practice this a thousand times, Steve, and I can still get it wrong. That's the beauty I, of life. You know, I should tell you, I should have told you that my I have a pen name. We could have made this a lot simpler. Stephen Michaels is my pen name, and we use that quite a bit. But that probably oh, that's so funny. In at the last moment. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, you know what? The beauty of live radio or live podcast, which is what we're doing, is exactly that. It, it, there, there are no takeovers. I don't have a team that's going to go and edit out the fact that I didn't say Piscatello correctly. It's fine because here it is. We're, we're real and we're going to keep it real. And I thought it would be great if we just got to know each other. And, Steve, because I've spoke with you um, quite um, quite a bit before the show. And, Garrett, we really haven't spoke too much. I thought it would be great, Garrett, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure thing. So uh, my name is Garrett Zecker. Uh, I am a writer, uh, teacher of writing and literature, and an actor. Um, I have a MA in fiction from Fitchburg State University and an MFA in fiction from the Mountain View MFA, which is part of uh, Southern New Hampshire University. Um, I have uh, a long list of writing credits um, in terms of uh, both um, novels and short stories and nonfiction. I kind of got my start um, in published writing at at the newspaper level. I was writing for the Sentinel and Enterprise in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Um, I wrote for some small things in in Boston as well, but, you know, you start getting your bylines that people can find eventually, and that would be the one. Um, And, uh, yeah, so I love love the work that I do. Um, I met Steve uh, over at um, a – event that I was uh, promoting my um, one of my novels at, um, written under the pseudonym Solomon Deep, which I have uh, two novels and a collection of short fiction published under, as well as a bunch of other short stories and things like that. And uh, ever since graduating from the MFA, I'm kind of heading down the road of um, trying to get my own bylines under my own name in terms of uh, more of a professional sort of, sort of uh, road. Um, in terms of teaching, writing, and literature, I mean, it's, it's a, not only a passion of mine, but it's a career. I teach at the high school and college level and uh, absolutely love kind of bringing that same passion to not only my students, but to the uh, members of Quab and Quills and the participants, um, bringing that same passion of writing, you know, to, to students who may not want to do it and to the, the people that come to Quab and Quills that absolutely want to do it. Um, so it's just a, yes. it's, it's a wonderful thing to to just have that passion and lead people down that same road. It's, it's a 
it's it's what I was born to do. I love that. I, I love that, and I understand that too. Have you always been in the New England area? Has that always been home for you? Yes, it has. Yes. Nice. It's a as a West Coaster, I can just tell you that. There is nothing in my mind more beautiful than the fall in New England. It's, so um, make sure you give me your address because I'll be coming by. All right. Absolutely. Now, <laughs> okay, Steve, it's, you're, up to, you're up to bat, my friend. Uh, let's, let's have you yep. share a little bit about what it is that you do and about Great. yourself well, your background. Um, you know, I was texting Garrett earlier today because I was just so excited to come on, Marsha, and you know, honestly, the night we met was one of those really life-changing moments. You really, when you, when you think about it, there's probably only a handful of life-changing events that you remember vividly and, you know, that have the hugest impact. And this was one of them. You know, I had written a novella called Sweet Mystery of Life under that pen name, Stephen Michaels, um, in 2007. I was out of work from teaching. I had had the worst high school teaching experience known to man mm. at that point. And uh, I was bummed. I was, I had hit kind of rock bottom just emotionally uh, and spiritually. And uh, so I didn't really want to get out of bed in the morning. And, but, but I had this journal from high school that said, Hey, you know what? Turn this into a book. Uh, my wife knew a woman from her work that had self published through something called iUniverse, and so I, a few phone calls later and, like, $2,000 later, I had this novel. So I'd shelled out all this money. Um, I felt a little accomplished, obviously, but so much of it had, had to fall to me to really promote it and whatnot. Fortunately, the Athol Public Library, um, that's the library that is real close to my house right now. Um, I live in Orange, Mass., and Athol is pretty much the border town. Um, and we all bordered the Lost Quabbin Valley, as I'll get to in a moment. But we, uh, you know, we met at this author's night. And they've had an author's night before, but somebody there, and I think it was Robin Stoltman. I, I really want to say it was her because she's still my contact person there. And she decided that that night would be a really great night for all the authors to share out their life stories and how they came to write the book and then read a passage. And so rather than just push our wares, which was kind of what we did like maybe a year before that. And again, now I think we're into 2009, maybe. Uh, no, no, actually, gosh, it, it's like 2012 now. So speed ahead. Okay. I sat on my books for years and years and years. And so finally I'm, you know, sharing this work. It's my, you know, little pet project. It's not very well written. I'll be honest. Um, Garrett <laughs> was kind enough that night. We exchanged books, Garrett and I, we sat right next to each other he was a really cool dude. He had some really awesome books, and I was just I was I was taken by him. You know, he's he's a nice dude, um, and um, you know we struck up this working friendship. Uh, I'd like to, you know, he knows we both know we'd like to hang out more, but our lives are not prepared for that kind of thing. Which you know what we have many many years ahead of us. So we we have a friendship. We have, and once we exchanged books, we connected on a very um, spiritual level. I read all his stories. I tuned into a bunch of, like, I, 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 from reading him and meeting him in person, I, we connected. And, and he was kind enough to take my, you know, pity little book <laughs> and write a great little review about it. And, you know, and I read his stories, and they were quirky and weird. And the best part about reading his quirky, weird stories was like, wait a second, I can keep writing. 
I can keep writing. These stories are off the walls. And it inspired me to be like, I can keep writing. And, and, it, and it cannot make sense. And it can be fun. And it can just be what it is. And so he just really did inspire me. I don't think he realizes how much he inspired me. But mm-hmm. after I read his book and I looked around at all those other authors, and I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if we could create an anthology, a collection of stories from all these authors, you know, forget Reader's Digest, let's do some short stories, because that's what Garrett gave me with a collection of his short stories. And for whatever reason, I kept thinking I had to write the great American novel, I had to write the great American novel, I'd high up somewhere um, and write that. But no, you can write poetry and short stories and express yourself in ways that are so much more fulfilling than breaking your back or ped or head trying to put out a novel. And so yeah, that's where I'm at. Just happy to express myself in any form. And I'm just so indebted to him for self-publishing this. He, he didn't charge me any money to put my stories into this book. You know, we, we, we wow. are a nonprofit, so yes, there is some money exchanging hands. But most of what we do and the money that we do make goes right into scholarships and, making, and just making more of these books. So paying for our cover designer or, you know, making sure they go well-binded. You know, no, no, no one's profiting from this book. And that was really important to me. And he was behind me 100% on that. And, I, again, I, I am so thankful for him being in my life. Oh, gosh. Garrett, I just, I'm curious. We have a lot of questions we're going to get, get to, but I can't skip this question by asking you, how did that make you feel to hear him say that? Man, I uh, I I have not ha- heard anybody speak about me in that way in, in my in my entire life, and I I'm very very deeply touched. I I feel um, I, I'm just as appreciative of our relationship. Wow, lovely. Well, a lot of gratitude yeah. right now. Well, let me let me let people know as they're listening because a lot of times as people are listening to a podcast, they also like to be on the internet at the same time. A lot of us do that. And I want to spell out the word quabbin quills for those of us that are not familiar with that word or the quabbin reservoir. So quabbin is spelled Q U A B like boy, B B I N Quills, it's the apostrophe with an S, Quills, quabbinquills.org. You have a beautiful website. It's, it's very well constructed. It's a physically attractive to look at. I'm looking at it as we speak. And um, there's a lot of information for people to gather from your website. But I also want them to hear your story, and that's why I do this every week. So, Steve, where did you come up with the name Quab and Quills? How did, how did that start? Um, also a great little story. So I, I'm a teacher. I teach in Winchester, New Hampshire. It's about 20 minutes south of Keene, New Hampshire, for those of you who know. And, oh, and yeah. It's only a few, and it's only a half hour from where I live. So, again, New England, you know, is probably the – like, it could just be a state in itself. I've always thought that. So, you know, it's not far for me to be a part of New Hampshire community. And um, so I work at a school, a great school, Winchester, New Hampshire. Hey, guys, anyone who's from mm-hmm. Winchester, New Hampshire, know how much I love you. Um, you have also been supportive of me and this dream that I've had in ways that you won't ever know. But the fact is, is um, I had a, a boss there. He was, in, he was the He's now, he's now a minister, believe it or not, but at the time he was president of our after-school group called Access, and actually he had just gotten out of the, the Access presidential role, 
and was trying to form his little congregation. But I called him up and I said, I'd really like to start this nonprofit. Will you help me with the, the myriad of paperwork? I mean, that's the thing that kills me about this, this particular job is the amount of paperwork and forms that I had to collect and fill out and not understand. And I still don't understand half of them, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jeremy Miller is his name. And he, like, he was, he was so thankful for me as a person. Cause what I did is after school person, I did a lot of stuff after school. I did theater with them. I did comic book writing. You know, I was there every day. I did musical theater um, for them during the school day with a little after school practice component. Um, and he, he let me have this like dream job for quite a while, but that dream job lost its funding. So Jeremy felt honored to help me out with my nonprofit because after that, after that program was lost, I started losing, I started losing focus again. I started going down that dark rabbit hole. Like I did when I lost my high school teaching job. I just, I didn't, I, I need a purpose. I need a bigger purpose in life for whatever reason. I'm, I mean, I know some people are content just sitting by the curb or whatever, but not, that's not me. So, right. and teaching is, is, a, is a purpose, but sometimes teaching can be hard and, and people will like, like make that purpose seem or feel like it's less significant. So with that in mind, I called him up. I said, will you help me? And he said, all right, well, what do you want to name this organization? I'm like, oh, geez, I hadn't really given it much thought. And he's like, I said, well, we're in the Quabbin region. Again, these lost towns, okay, of Quabbin because Boston needed water for its reservoir. And so they, they sort of flooded these towns. A lot of people got evicted. It's a, it's a, a wonderful story. Um, please check that out. Please Google it, guys, because it's, it's really a fascinating um, Massachusetts-like near legend. And I believe there's even a movie with some supernatural overtones associated with it. And I'm mm. blanking, but I, I think Robert Downey Jr. is in it. But that's, that's for another day. Anywho. He came up with the name Quab and Quills, and I said, wow, that is a beautiful name. So he was a big idea man, and he, just like Garrett, he'll never know how much I appreciated all that he did for me and all the stuff he really just uh, – I've been so blessed with having people support me and wanting me to be happy, and so that's, that's, that's what it is. I get it. I, I like. I just. I love your whole logo. It, it, it's. It's just. Tra- it's just terrific, with that <laughs> quill. It just looks so great. Mm-hmm. It's terrific. It's a terrific logo. So Garrett, what do you? It, it sounds like you know this is like a love fest today. Um, what do you? <laughs> but you know what? That's why people ask me why I do this. What What do you talk about? And I say I have guests on my show that have a passion for what it is they do and it's positive it it's everybody's story is different but the link is the positivity and clearly mm. you can feel that and what you guys have said so far so with that in mind garrett what do you enjoy most about working with other writers yeah um you know i think interestingly i think steve might have might have captured it uh a little bit um that you know i think a lot of people you know, writers in uh, in popular culture and writers in in history all have this kind of this this, this kind of legendary quality and this um, introspective quality that that goes beyond the the physical, right? This metaphysical idea of, of what it means to be human and be alive. And and we look at writers, um, and depending on the country that you grew up in. There's a, you know, there's different, even, even more complicated relationships with storytellers and writers. Um, you know, 
depending on, on where you come from, if you come from Russia, uh, writers are, are, you know, considered one of the you know, greatest members of their, their society. Um, and, and we can see who's come from Russia, um, uh, that, that we can see how great, um, you know, some of the writers from Russia were that why they're so revered. And here in the U S we have, we have a similar thing, but it's a little bit different. And we have a lot of different relationships with what it means to be a writer. That if you look at a, a character like, um, Jack Kerouac and you look at a character like Ernest Hemingway and you look at a character like, um, uh, Candace Bushnell, is that her name, the Sex and the City lady, that, that we all have this kind of drive within mm. us to be a storyteller and that we enjoy the, the, the stories that go with writers and what it means to be a writer. And I think a lot of times in doing that, um, we kind of discount ourselves in terms of where we actually think that we fit into that activity. And some of us think it's a hobby. Some of us is something that we do once in our entire lives. Some of us, we do it uh, for just when our teachers ask for it, and some of us don't do it at all. And uh, it gets even more complicated in the 21st century, or at least since the late 90s, uh, with reality television, that some of us feel like there needs to be this innate talent that is, that is there, and you're born with it, and it's all going to come easy for you if you just get out and do it, um, somebody is going to notice you and somebody's really going to appreciate it. And all of that kind of creates this really toxic and confusing uh, element to the craft of writing because it, it is not a talent-based occupation. In fact, you know, it's one of the few things that the more you do it, you know, reading is another one, right? The more that you read and write, the better you get at it. No matter how you cut the cake, that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, where, you know, if you're really great at football or baseball, there's going to be a point that you max out. And then there's going to be a point that your body doesn't perform anymore. And then you're old. And then what? You know, or you don't even have to be very old, as we know as well. You know, a lot of people retire from the Olympics at 19 or something. So, um where Steve was going down the right road and where, where it really made me think is that where I, what I love about working with writers is kind of communicating that, um, that concept of you can do this and you are good. And that, you know, once you have, um, once you have something down, you are already, you know, you're already, 50% done. You know, a lot of people don't realize how much revision writing takes. That's another thing. Yeah. But, um, you know, once you've got something down, you're at least 50% done. Depending on which writer you're asking, might only be 10% done, but you're definitely not 100% done. And uh, what we do is I just love coming together with people, taking a look at what they've created. Sometimes it, it's, it sucks. Sometimes it's great. But in every case, uh, we all, like, you know, sit down, with their work, uh, we, we use the writer's workshop model together. We put our heads together. We peel that onion back and take a look at what this person's put together. And then uh, we encourage them to keep writing and, and find things that they read that they find to be incredible and, and just continue working on that craft because the more you do it, the better you get. And, you know, what Steve said about this being just such a great experience for him and knowing he can do it and knowing that he's putting out quality things and, and knowing that he has found a lot of love and passion for the craft in this and working with me. But I mean, you know, I even take myself out of the equation that was always there. Um, but, but being the person to, to knock somebody on the head with, with how great their work is and how much fun we have working together. 
that's that's what I love about it. I can see that. And how when you when you couple that with Steve, how important is it that you're offering these scholarships to these young writers? Because I believe you offered three scholarships last year. Is that right? Yes, three last year, and we have three winners this year, and I'll be happy to share their names. Um, but it was so important because um, I'll actually go back to our very first um, anthology. So this is we're working on our fourth anthology right now. It's, it's in the get ready for copy edit stage, but we have three other copies. Uh, Times Reservoir was the first one, followed by Mountains and Meditations, and then Voices of the Valley. So those, right. you can actually go and buy all three at Amazon, and there's a link on our website. So feel free to check them out, um, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but the, they're all, they're the beauty also available of all bookstores. Oh, that's right. What was that, Garrett? They're also available in all bookstores. You just got to, you, you, I mean, they don't carry them in stock all the time, but you just ask at the desk and we'll ship it right to you. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Makes sense. Um, So thank you. Yes. So, but with Voices of the Valley, that was the one we decided that we would give scholarships away. And it was always a thought with the first book. And so with Times Reservoir, Reservoir, um, I brought in at this same book meet with, with Garrett was a young lady who my wife taught music lessons to and was in her band. Mm. And, you know, I saw her from across the room, and I was like, oh, Emily Boughton, oh, she's, and she was one of those great students, you know. And, and I think at that moment, I realized how important it would be to set up this nonprofit, give her an opportunity to shine. Um, but, again, we didn't have any funding at that time, so I couldn't just give her a scholarship, but she'd already graduated high school. So it was kind of like, well, what do I do? So she designed the first cover of our book. Um, so if you look at Times Reservoir online there, that's all her mm-hmm. drawings. She is a oh, very talented She also did Mountains and Meditation. She did our first two books. And if you look at those drawings, they are absolutely stunning. Um, and, you know, she's gone on to other things, and I really should check on her. But if she's listening um, or listens to this later, um, <laughs> I do love her. I, I know I've been spouting off this, but, you know, I am thankful for the people I've met and who have helped sure. me put this all together. And sure. she did. She inspired me to, to go in the direction of scholarship. And I even said it at the book launch of Times Reservoir. I said, this is why I want to do this. Um, I'm not really in it for me. Um, Like Garrett said, there's that very toxicity of, you know, oh, you can just be instantly famous overnight. No, no, you can't. And writing especially. No way. Everyone gets rejected. I mean, look at, or, oh, everyone says you could be the next J.K. Rowling. Oh, yeah, I want to be poor and, 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 you know, and living basically in the cafe where I wrote my best-selling novel for 10 years. Yeah, everybody wants that part of it, right? Right. <laughs> no, Gosh. No, they forget. They forget that this woman struggled. She, too, hated teaching. She, had, you know, she created Dolores Umbridge because she also had a very bad teaching experience. And hmm. let's be honest, um, you know, Garrett and I are teachers. When we look out at that sea of faces every day, whether it was, you know, in person or in the video, and we just got their little eyeball sometimes or whatever, um, you know, Shrek um, poster that they happened to put up for their profile pic that day. You know, so many of those kids need us, and we need them. I mean, it's it's a two-way street. Education is a Mm -hmm. two-way street. So if I could just give back to them and let them share. We had some talented talented scholarship people come in. Um, for example, Aiden Needle, 
He's an Athol uh, High School, um, actually he graduates this year. He was our scholarship winner, top scholarship winner last year. He was amazing. The kid can write poetry, like astounding. And it's the kind of poetry that, go, that you sit back and you go, wow, wow. I really need to reread that a couple times because I love how it sounds. I love what it's getting at. But it's, 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 a, it's a thought-provoking, they're thought-provoking pieces. Uh, the second place winner that we had last year, her name was Cecilia Jeninewski. She came on as an intern this year. She helped us out tremendously. She joined our editorial board. And so not only was she a great writer, but she had fabulous insight, and she was able to help writers this go-round, which was fabulous. And then we even had a great kid named Matt Shepardson. You know, I got the impression that he didn't write a lot, but his teacher was like, you should go out for this. You should try this. This is a great piece. Let, let them have it. And you know what? It was beautiful. It was beautifully written. And so that's what I love. I love being a teacher. I love seeing what kids can do. And I love seeing what regular average writers can do. You know, like, like Garrett said, it's not an easy profession, but the more you do it, the better you get. And so right. this year I'm really excited to, you know, I haven't met or talked to them, and I'm hoping that we have a book launch so I can meet these scholarship winners, but – Jillian Mawawa of uh, Wilbraham, Massachusetts. She's getting a scholarship this year. Violet Masterson of uh, Team New Hampshire, because we expanded our little uh, Western Mass and now New England. So we, we're branching. We're growing. And nice. um, Caitlin Strollberg is also a winner, um, and she is from Worcester, and she's enrolled at Boston University. So she um, – and they were so – so thankful for for our you know and granted we're not giving out much we're it's like a 200 300 scholarship but mm-hmm. these kids were so happy to receive that money and now they're going to be published in a book and they or they have been published so that's the great thing they've got their foot in the door and i was able and garrett and i were able to provide them with that and that is that just just makes me feel good well, and it, it also, if I understood you correctly, not only did you have a scholarship for writing, but she also designed the jack, the book jacket. So was she also a contributor to um, Times Reservoir, or did was her contribution? Oh yes. So Emily, to yes, Emily Boutman, who was not our first scholarship winner, but in my estimation, she kind of is. You know, yes, uh-huh. she contributed to the first book, and she designed the cover jackets and everything. So, wow. But again, multi-talented. And, and so, mm-hmm. yeah. Truly multi-talented. Absolutely. So, Garrett, let me ask you, how do you determine what kind of submissions go into your anthologies? And perhaps even before you answer that, Garrett, let me ask you this. For those that are listening that don't know the definition of an anthology, could you define that before you answer that question I just asked you? Sure thing, yeah. An anthology is um, a collection of, I mean, it it could be any number of things, but generally it's a collection of writing um, that could either, you could have a poetry anthology, which is just poetry. You could have a, our our anthologies are um, combinations of poetry and short stories and and nonfiction. Uh, You could have just nonfiction and you could have just fiction. Um, And essentially that's, that's what they are. They're a collection of different authors collected together in uh, one book. And um, perhaps the difference between an anthology and, say, a, um, a literary magazine would be that, like, the anthology is the type of book that you would buy, uh, you know, if, if you've gone to college and, and you were an undergrad and you had to buy one of those really big, thick books that have, like, all of British literature from the Renaissance to the 
reconstruction or something like that, um, you would that would be an anthology. They're, they're, in fact, it's called the Norton Anthology is one such brand of that. Um, mm-hmm. Difference between that and, say, a literary magazine, uh, which also look like books, is that ours isn't really necessarily a periodical. It, it, we, we do kind of one-off collections on a yearly on a yearly basis. So they're, they're, uh, they kind of go into the library. They're not like something that is a, um, a magazine. I, let me do, I want to ask one more clarifying question because I didn't let you answer the question I asked. And that is when you have these collections in an anthology and you mentioned poetry and short stories and fictions and nonfictions, is the other qualifier to this is the length? Is it based on words, on how many words is in it or how many you know, how, how do you know how long it's going to be that you're writing? Is, that, is there a determination for that? In terms of the... Uh, the I'm length sorry, of I your poetry. Like, does, is okay. there a minimum length? Well, yeah, in other words, um, I'm a writer, and I want to write about how it is I became a podcaster, and now I'm going on and on and on and on and on. What I'm trying to determine is in an anthology, if I'm, I'm seeing it as a chapter within a book, and so what I'm kind of trying to determine is how long is that chapter? I see. Um, I don't think we really have – we don't have a – we have a kind of a maximum uh, generally in our submission guidelines. And the, uh-huh. uh, ours is pretty, pretty generally what you would submit to a magazine as well, though. I wouldn't say it's, um, it's anything beyond that. A short story is, is around 5,000 words. I mean, if you, if you submit something that's longer, if it's really good, we'll put it in there, though. Like, I see. We're not um, – yeah, it's it's you know well, if, you, if you're too verbose in anything, um, sure. you would you maybe would that's where the editorial process would come in. If it's good, then we'll keep it just the way. If it's great, we'll keep it just the way it is. If it if it needs Perfect. some trimming, we'll talk to you about it though and figure out how to make it uh, the best way possible. Who is it that said? I think it was Mark Twain, may have said, um, I I would have written you a shorter letter if I had more time. <laughs> that's, that's funny that's a good one well i just i you know as someone that's not a writer i mean i just i mean i i write an article for a local magazine and it's 500 words that's that's a magazine that's just an article i was just curious when it's an anthology you know what are sort of the guidelines i'm sort of a person that sits in a rule book sometimes so i i was just curious so when yeah, you when you we are I think with a periodical, you have their uh, their concern would probably be like, what's the attention span and the expectation of our audience? Where with our anthology, um, you know, really the the baseline of anything that we'd really be worried about is quality. Like, is it a good piece? And um, practicality, really, you know, in terms of, you know, the more pages that we put in there, the more it's going to cost to make. Um, but that has not even been uh, – Steve, you can, you can double-check. I'll double-check mm-hmm. with you, but really – I don't think that's yep. been a problem with us ever. Nice. That's well. That's that's really good to know. And then you, what you do, Garrett, is you just gather these anthology. The, you, the, you gather these submissions, and then you go into the publishing side of this. Is that what happens next? Yeah. Um, yeah. Generally, what we'll do is we um, we have a uh, we have an editorial board. We used to, when before COVID, um, we would have uh, writers workshops, and, and I'm certain that we're going to bring those back um, as time goes on. Excuse me. And um, we would uh, we would have a writers workshop with a group of the writers that submitted, 
uh, we would do a workshop model where they would kind of read each other's pieces, give feedback. We have a kind of a worksheet that mm. they'd work off of and a video mm -hmm. that we made before showing up to it so they know what to expect. And then from there, that, then it would go to our editorial board. Now with COVID, uh, what we did instead was we kind of expanded our editorial board um, and then kind of, kind of contracted a little bit on maybe what the expectations were in terms of the writer's workshop because we couldn't meet face-to-face, -face and that was a big right. kind of component of it. So, um, so first round, we would kind of go through and take a look at what we like and what we don't. For the most part, um, what we're looking for is we want – you know, we, we don't look at it like the, I wouldn't say the normal way of looking at it. We're not going to weed out stuff that we just kind of don't want to put in there at all. We look at it more of like a growth mindset. We want to take people's work that they submitted, and, uh, and if it's not perfect, we want, and we want it to be perfect for them. And we kind of coach them and, and give them some ideas on how to kind of change things. Uh, over the span of our publication history, I don't, I, I, I would say it's a very small handful of pieces that we just decided not to publish at all. Um, and ultimately the authors are always have been very receptive to our suggestions and our, our coaching in terms of just making sure that what they submitted is the best thing possible. Um, nice. And then after that, uh, the editorial gives editorial board gives their feedback and then they resubmit and then we kind of go through it then. And then we have our list of pieces and then we kind of like have a conversation uh, it's been over email. Um, I think that's even how we did it before, honestly. There's not really a reason to sit face-to-face -face on that. But we kind of try to make yeah. – uh, it's like a mixtape, you know, when, you, when you're making yeah. mixtapes for your boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, what is the best order of these songs right. that, that will really engage our audience? And it's tough. Uh, we, have a lot, we have a lot of conversations about what that I order bet. is going into it. Let me ask um, you. Let me ask you this. I'm sorry to interrupt you. So, do I understand no. that the writers' workshop is the beginning, and then then it goes to the editorial board? It's not the opposite. It's not the other way around, right? You start with the workshop. Pre-COVID, that's the way it would always be. Yes. Okay. Right. And uh, post-COVID, like I said, it's, it's mainly editorial board, but it's a bigger editorial board, and, and uh, we're kind of we're kind of doing the same thing, except it's it's electronic and. It's not so much where we, we figured it, it would be the teams that we used to make and stuff that would probably be a little too complicated to do it digitally and mm -hmm. make sure everybody timeline matches up and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, maybe you could expand on that, um, Steve, as far as that. So the value of the writer's workshop may step aside as you move forward and you're going to just basically work with your editorial board going forward? So, yes. So we, this, so we were able to reformat. Here's a great thing. I, I really – I'm, I've been waiting to name drop our treasurer, um, James Thibault. He is fantastic. He was also there that night that I met all these authors for the first time, and he was the first person to submit a story for Times Reservoir. So he got this rolling, and I and I told him that um, at, I think at when we got onto Mountains of Meditation, I said, "You don't realize, but you were the first person to take me up on the idea of." Times Reservoir and submit a short story. So without him doing that first piece and sharing it with me, I probably would have given up. And so I was so, again, so thankful for the people that I've, I've met. So James, once he knew that he was instrumental in starting the ball rolling, he stepped up and became our treasurer. Um, actually, I think he spent a little time as secretary, then moved on to treasurer. I'm president. 
Um, Garrett's uh, co-vice uh, president. You know, so we, we all share responsibilities. But James was instrumental in getting us to do Google Docs, okay? And actually, mm-hmm. Google Docs really helped streamline the editorial process on the last two anthologies. And with COVID being what it is, I was able to send the author's link and say, hey, this is what we thought about your piece. So we didn't exactly eliminate the writer's workshop. It just became more individualized. Whereas before COVID, it was maybe Garrett and myself and two other authors who were hoping to get published, right? And the four of us or five of us would have a conversation like, okay, let's go, let's do this with your story and then resubmit it, okay? So in a sense, we, we did, I did that sort of on my own. I took editorial board members and I, I assigned them a piece and I, and I kind of got a sense of, okay, this is how this editorial board, board member thinks and edits. I think this is the piece that they should get. So really it took some intuitive thinking. Like I, I mm-hmm. this go around, I didn't want to just throw random people at you. you. I sort of read all the pieces sort of on my own and then was like, okay, let's, let's coordinate. And Diane Kane is another great person who was instrumental in getting this off the ground. Uh, Diane mm-hmm. Kane used to be our submission coordinator and secretary, um, but then stepped down so she could focus on some other things and really enjoy her retirement. Uh, from being a civil servant, a great mail lady, if ever there yeah. was one. She was probably the best. So <laughs> she Diane joined Kane, me a couple of know, months ago. I remember her talking about beautiful. being a, a rural mail carrier. Yeah, I mean, she's a fabulous lady. Um, so between her and James, I mean, they kept me going. Garrett keeps, keeps me publishing. Garrett was the inspiration for me to write my own stories. But James and Diane were instrumental in putting these things together in the beginning, like really giving it a shot. And so, um, so Diane would, she went and she was submission coordinator like last year and the year before, like picking pieces and people and giving feedback. And she was, she came back this year, honestly, she just didn't want a board member position, but she came back with a vengeance and really helped these authors during COVID. She, after she read her five pieces, I signed everyone about five pieces. So, because we have about 25 to 30 authors featured here. Um, so I see. More than others, but they followed the guidelines, which is great. So, we had, we're looking at 25 writers. So, we've, and we've got five, and we had five, five or six editorial board members. So, everybody got a little piece of the puzzle. And then I oversaw, and I also edited some pieces, but I oversaw the, the coordination of and helped them be the mediator. So I was like, look, do you understand what this editor is asking you? And they would go back. And, and more often than not, like Garrett said, people are willing to work. They're willing to change what mm-hmm. they want. Um, you know, we very rarely have we turned anyone away. Um, and honestly, the only people I feel like turning away are the people who refuse to make small edits. Like, I what bothers me is, like, like people, people – I've submitted stuff and I've got rejected and I've never understood why. See, we don't do that. We'd like, we like to expand upon what it is that we like about your piece and what, it could, what we could do with it to actually get it in our anthology. I, I hate rejection letters. I, I, I don't take rejection yeah. very well. I'm, I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm surprised I got married at all. Like, I mean, I couldn't even <laughs> talk to it. Why? I mean, oh, uh, you're funny. But somehow, bing, bang, boom, you know, I – you know, I found a confidence and passion, and that's really what you need to get through anything. If you're right. passionate about your writing, you don't need to get a rejection letter. 
You just need to no. work harder. Right. Well, let me ask you this question because this could clearly be a two-hour podcast. I want to ask you a question, (laughs) Garrett, Um, which is which is okay with me because you know I was born to talk. I could go on forever. Um, So, in addition to the book sales, how do you guys raise funds for your organization? Because maybe somebody is listening that would like to be supportive of you. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we do a lot of interesting little things, and, and I, I, you know, I, I'll mention James again real quick because he's come up with a lot of really great ideas. Um, in fact, Steve might even have a better memory. Uh, yeah. Because I, I forget things sometimes, but I know that we've we've yeah. um, we've come up with a lot of interesting stuff. Book sales um, is book sales has had always been our major driving. Um, thing that kept us going. Um, and whenever we'd had our book launches, man, the community would come out. We had a live broadcast on Facebook. We had a live broadcast on all the nice. local TV stations. Um, we, we would get a really great turnout. Um, and in addition to that, uh, oftentimes authors would, we would give an incentive uh, for coming to the to the book launch parties and, and for the authors to kind of kind of pre-order all the books so that we could you know have them shipped in freight and, and make sure everybody got what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but with COVID, we had to get a little creative. I mean, um, our sales. The thing that that kind of stinks is that we're not really you know like Steve said we're not out to make money. But but what we do want to do is give away money. Um, which a lot of yeah people, right that seems. Uh, counterproductive for uh, a nonprofit organization, but that's truly what we want to do. We want to give away money in the scholarships, and we want to make sure our website stays up and that our, our the presses keep running, essentially. Sure. So, um, we came up with some great ideas the last couple of years. Um, people can, of course, just donate directly. Um, I believe on our website we have a, a link to our um, – We do. Yep, we do. I believe it's, it's a PayPal. Yeah. Uh, we have a link to don't, a way, donate a way to support. donate directly. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, we also have like a, a lot of fun little um, kind of things that we do um, on the internet. Um, we're very lucky that we have such a supportive community and a, a great following online. For anybody that's listening, you should absolutely join us on Facebook and on Twitter, and and you get some great opportunities yourself to win some money. Mm-hmm. And Instagram, yeah, you can win some money. You can you can participate in. You don't have to participate in in sending in something big. Um, generally, we've had even mini contests. Um, Steve, do you, do you want to go over a few of them? That we had one that was you know a, what? Yeah, um, haiku contest. I, some, um, Diane Kane, I believe, is listening right now, and she reminds me about the the, <laughs> the grants, the grants that I wrote that I wrote up. Oh yes. So the oh, Mass Cultural Council. Yeah, I completely forgot about it, but um, yeah, please shout out to the Mass Cultural Council. Um, we had. Money from Oakham, Orange, um, Warwick, uh, Hardwick, like, uh, and I think New Salem. All um, I applied for grants and said, "Hey, we're going to do this anthology. I'd really like to give away scholarships. I really want to purchase books because that's the thing. You know, we could buy our books and then you know gift them and and resell them, so we have a little uh, you know a nice little cash flow going. You know, so right. they they were like." By all means, that sounds great. So, and, and they gave us some pretty hefty sums. I mean, this was back in the very beginning, but it maintained us. It floated us there so that I could get to the scholarship part of it. Um, and so I'm just so thankful for those local cultural councils. Um, the fact that in Massachusetts really does love their art. 
I mean, it always seems like I follow Mass Creative, right? And and so here's the thing: if you follow them on Twitter, they you know they go out of their way to make sure that legislation is in the favor of the arts. They know that COVID was difficult. They had webinars and, you know, and they had weekly meetings like, hey, what do, what do you guys need? You know, just, just trying to bolster spirits and be like, look, arts aren't dead. You know, just because COVID hit doesn't mean the art community is dead. We can, we can rise. We can come back. And so that was inspiring. And so knowing that this cash flow is coming in through these cultural grants and that, and honestly, they want to give money away, too. Wonderful. They're being funded to fund other art programs. And so, yeah, a couple, and actually it was really easy. Um, I forget the website, but um, if you're a Massachusetts guy um, and you're listening to this, please go on the Mass Cultural website, look around, and apply for those grants. And, you know, get a budget in mind. Work with someone who may be a little more financially um, stronger than you or whatever. But people will help you. I mean, I knew nothing going into this. Honest to God, um, I I mean, we're writers. That's the thing. So math is not our strong suit. But, um, but, you know, you get someone like James. I mean, again, to go back to James, James, he's the one. So, so currently he's the one coming up with haiku contests and ABC poetry, uh, story contests and putting them on Facebook and having people vote. And, and, again, you can go to – you can donate. If you search for Facebook um, charities to donate to, we're on the list. Quab, sure. you just type in the word quab and we come up, quab and quill. Mm-hmm. And so you can even give to us through Facebook. Um, and, again, a lot of this is direct deposited, so just the checks don't get lost in the mail, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's, we live in a wonderful Easy. digital age where the money yes. can just come if you're willing to put up the credit card or the PayPal. And we, and we are 100% transparent here. We do not – take any personal payments or anything like that. This goes literally to our website, our production of our anthologies, and to the students' scholarships. One, 100% transparency. There's, there's I, I, in fact, honestly, Steve, I, I believe the only overhead we have is, is the website, really. We, we don't have any paid yeah. employees. We're, <laughs> we're doing point, our best. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, I, I, and I trust me, I understand what you're talking about as as a woman that works <laughs> My partner, wait, I don't have a partner, never mind. Okay, so <laughs> let, 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 uh, that's not so true. Honestly, that is not true. When I first right. started doing the Born to Talk radio show, I was actually in a studio less than three, four miles from my house, and I had an intern that had just graduated from college, and she was coming to the station every week for three years. And when that opportunity ended, then I went to Blog Talk Radio, which opened up the opportunity, much like what you're talking about, where I didn't have to have people on my show that lived close enough to come into Westchester to go to my studio. But she still insists upon being my Instagram person. And so a shout-out to Tia, because Tia Ragland has been with me this entire time. And trust me, I've tried to acknowledge her in some form of payment, and it was like, no, thank you. I am not doing it for that reason. I am here to support you. And I'm telling you, she is she is a special woman in my life. And, you know, you mentioned James so much in what you guys have been talking about and, and your connection to one another, which goes right to my three C's. You mentioned Diane. You know, 
our conversations, connections, and in your case, the community, which is your community of writers, in a time of COVID, when we're all sort of in this hyper-isolated, oh, my God, time, you know, writing, talking, whatever it is that you love, I I think that that's what kind of keeps us, well, I'll just speak for me, it keeps me in balance. If I didn't have this radio show where I'm just talking to phenomenal people each week, I ask myself, what would I be doing instead? Because, Mm -hmm. yes, this is a lot of work. What you do is a lot of work. Teaching is a lot of work. Being a mentor is a lot of work. And I'm sure that you love it. And I guess I'd like to ask you guys this, and maybe I don't, I don't really mind which one of you wants to answer this question, but for those that are listening, what advice would you give to writers looking to either publish their anthologies uh, with you guys or on their own? What, what, what tips would you, would you offer? Well, I'll start. I, I think that the number one um, thing that I would tell people to do uh, and this comes from, you know, all of my writing experience and teaching experience is that the biggest, um, the biggest roadblock to being a writer is not writing. And uh, I think that my biggest piece of advice is that even if you think it's awful, even if you think you're wasting your time, just, just plow through it. Get as much down on the page every day as you can and, and, and find a way to make a habit of writing um, there's a lot of writers that espouse this and they say, try to just write 500 words a day or try to do whatever. You know, my piece of advice isn't even tied to that. It would be more tied to find a way of making writing a habit as much as brushing your teeth. Like make sure that you keep a, a journal. You know, there's with, especially with COVID, that might be the only thing that I write all day. And I know that in uh, my journal that I wrote for that day, even if it was a few sentences, that I at least got some craft done. And I don't look at it as, as something that I'm trying to achieve something that's going to lead to a book. I'm looking at it, this, I'm doing this for myself. Um, for, for anybody else, though, like for anything else that I've been doing, there's many times that I've sat down, you know, you probably heard of NaNoWriMo, that's the uh, National Novel Writing Month where you write 50,000 words. I've written some real garbage but I've gotten 50,000 words done in that month. And no matter what comes out of that, even if it's a real piece of garbage, I know that leaving the month of November, having written every day, I I come out of November a better writer, even if I can't use what I wrote. And I see in my students all the time, a lot of them sometimes, you know, sit there with the cursor on the page and they're like, I just, I don't know where to start. I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to write about? And they, they give me a short summary. I'm like, well, it sounds like you really have the middle and the end figured out, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, then just start in the middle. And then you can go back and write the beginning after. This, this is, it's not complicated. There's not some kind of magic trick that, that writers, you know, follow the same process every day. And then back to the American Idol, you know, reality <laughs> TV thing. There's no, there's no magic process where where you're just talented yep. and you, you put something out that's perfect the first time. In fact, it, it, I guarantee it's never like that. And, and I, I, you know, there's anecdotes of, of writers. Um, Shirley Jackson, you know, mm. wrote the lottery. Apparently she, she took her daughter for a, a walk while she was a baby in the stroller 
and she thought about the story while she was out on the walk in the stroller. And she got home and she sat down on the typewriter. And, and legend has it that that is mm-hmm. the first draft, and there were very few editorial changes of the New Yorker <laughs> the year it was published. And then she got a bunch of hate mail after that. But that is, that's, you know, that's like watching Simone Biles do, you know, 16 backflips but, before she lands on her feet. Like, that's, Garrett, that never happened. Garrett, I would argue and, that, that Shirley Jackson had the rough draft in her head. She was sounds yes. like based on that story, she was reading writing it all day. She sometimes yes. it's just about thinking about writing that also right. leads to it. You know, and, and, we, and you can try to do it during those mundane oh. activities if you can. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the really the secret though is you know, I'm not Shirley Jackson. I'm not I'm not <laughs> Mark Twain. I'm not David Foster Wallace. I'm Garrett Zucker and I'm gonna do I'm going to do what I do on my daily basis and knowing that there's going to be pieces that come out that, you know, at the end of it, there's going to be something really, really great. But the majority, the vast majority of the stuff that I, I, I pen on a, on a regular daily basis might not, might not get there. And you just got to not be upset about that. You know, yeah. uh, Hamilton is, it's a 10 year, Hamilton was a 10 year project. It took Lin-Manuel right. Miranda 10 years before it even showed up on stage. And when you go see it, you're like, yeah, I see why wow. that took ten years. You know, um, no kidding. Donna Tart, Donna Tart has has three novels, and they're excellent and they're perfect. And she's, you know, I don't know how how much is left in her career, but mm. she's not a spring chicken, and and that's what she put mm-hmm. out. It's like those three novels are excellent, and I would recommend Donna Tart. Let me interrupt you for a moment because I think sure, that this yeah. is something I think that's important for us to know. I'm just going to ask you this directly as opposed to maybe your students. But when you do your writing, are you – because I, I have a lot of authors on my show and the answer is never the same. Are you pen to paper or are you fingers to keyboard? That's that's an excellent question. Um, yeah, my process is uh, very interesting and probably very unusual, as a lot of people probably say. Um, it depends on how long the thing is that I'm writing. Short stories, I will generally handwrite because, uh, and I have a re- I have a rationale. Uh, my my short stories, I generally start by handwriting them, and then typing them on a typewriter, and then putting them in the computer. Um, wow, and the typewriter. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I have a yeah. It's it, I know. It's, and when my typewriters die, I don't know. This, this I is why I like this guy. I mean, he's yeah. I, I hoard soul. them because I know they work. Yeah, and then when they don't work anymore, I no idea where I'm getting a new one. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I use a I use a typewriter, and I and I handwrite them. And the reason is is that when I handwrite something, I know that draft, I can't I can't. You know, we have this. It really comes down to that idea of, of having uh, editorial oversight of yourself, and, and and I would tell any writer not to have that, at least in the first few drafts. So doing yeah. it on on pen to paper forces me to to just get the story out, and I can't go back and change it. I can, there's no cursor. And then when right. I get on the typewriter, that is probably like I take what I hand wrote, and I try to make my first good draft, mm-hmm. but I also still can't hit backspace. Right. So I try to like weed out a lot of the stuff that I wrote, don't backspace and, uh, and then get that down. And then I put it in the word processor and that's where it kind of makes finishing touches. Uh, the novel I'm working on right now, 
novel I'm working on right now is entirely on the word processor. It's, it's just too long, you know? Right. What about you, Steve? What's, what's your process? Uh, yeah, so it's interesting. So I'm listening to here, and, you know, sometimes it's whatever's closer, but I think about, um, you know, I spent so much time on the computer this year, so I did write my stories that are in the upcoming anthology. I went right to the typewriter. I mean, not typewriter, the computer, the, the laptop. <laughs> Um, but, you know, a lot of, I do, I use pen, I use a pencil, I use a pencil, not a pen, I'll do a pencil, and I have notebooks, and, you know, um, little known fact, um, the kids of Winchester, they know this for sure, but yeah, I think they'd still be astounded. I've written over 25, if not 30 plays there in my 10 to 12 year uh, um, career there, after school plays, musicals, um, you know, and musicals always had, like, little karaoke stuff that we could throw in. And I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, part of me, and again, and I, I mentioned it earlier in the program, you know, when they took that away, I was afraid I'd lose my, like Garrett said, the, the hardest part is taking the time to write. And so when they were cutting that program, I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to write again. I need right. to write. I need to write. And so... So, you know, yes, I use pencil and paper, and it is a wonderful thing to do, to use, and even to use um, the laptop. I mean, but just the idea of putting pen to paper and, you know, and scratching things out and looking back at it. But, I mean, I have – and I keep all my notebooks, too, which is – you know, like I said, my first novella there was a high school journal um, of a mystery novel that I wanted to write because I didn't want to spend every day saying – I went into English class today. It was the nicest experience. You know, I, I didn't want to write a journal like that. I wanted to be creative. I wanted to be funny. And, you know, humor is my thing. Um, you know, my plays are kind of off the wall, but funny. I mean, very appropriate for middle school. Uh, I have yet to see them published in a book at all, but um, I've, I, I enjoyed watching the kids. And, you know, my, the kids in the play were my biggest fans. I connected with mm-hmm. these kids as actors, and I'm still friends with them um, now that they've graduated. And they just, they just they, I know that they had a good time being a part of my writing process because they would help me write the plays too, which was great. So I've oh, always been nice. a collaborative writer. I've always been a pencil writer. And, yeah, I love to type too. Typing is great. Um, but yeah, however it gets done, that's the important part. <laughs> that is the important part, yes. I think what you said, Garrett, was also really, really valuable, and that is that the, the roadblock, that, that don't, don't stop writing. Even if you're not sure what it is you're writing about, just start the process. You can always go back and edit it, Maybe you, maybe, I don't know, everybody might have their own style of doing that. Maybe for some it's bullet points, who, what, where, when, why. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not the expert in this field. But I don't think that it's what, I don't think what you're saying is you have to be an expert in the field to be a writer. If you want to write, write and make it a habit, whether it's in a journal whether it's on your laptop, whether it's wherever. you got a spiral notebook and it says Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever that might Absolutely. be. You know, I think that there's, that's there's what's no, so important. There's no right way to do it. You just to, yeah. right. The only way you would do it is just um, – and, and I, I think – 
Yes, well, you know, I would say it's, it's mm-hmm. funny. There's, a, there's no right way to do this, and that's mm-hmm. the R-I-G-H-T, and then there's the W-R-I-T-E. <laughs> and yes. it's, it's funny how that works. And believe it or not, um, and I knew this would happen with you fellas, um, we have come yes. to the end of our hour, and I do want people to visit your website, to look at your books, to consider, you know, you might not be living in Mass. You might be living here in California or Oregon or Florida or somewhere else. And frankly, I could see where what you guys are doing could perhaps inspire others to say, hey, you know what? I mean, I'm thinking about my own daughter. She loved writing in school. She was a theater arts major. She understands what you're talking about. She's an exceptional writer. And I I, I think you just have to kind of figure out where you stand in that. Maybe, Maybe your way of being involved in this is to be the reader. I mean, writers do want readers. And we do, I think we do. you have a, you and don't you have a don't you have your latest anthology? Isn't it due to come out very soon? Voices of the Valley. Yeah, it's slated for the fall. Um, so okay. we're hoping to have a book launch, and we probably will stream it online, whether that's whether it's in person or via Zoom, because we did do a Zoom one for um, Voices of the Valley. But beyond the pathway, I think it's going to be our best one yet. And I say that every time, of course. But uh, this is fun. <laughs> this is great, and it's going to you know, it's going to reflect COVID in ways that, you know, are surprising. You know, this is what we experience. This is us wanting to connect with one another. And so there are some fabulous pieces in there. I've got two of my works ready to go, and I'm very proud of them. Um, When is that that scheduled to be published, Steve? When does that – when when will that be – So we have a board meeting tonight, so I will put that Uh on the agenda. Um, Okay. (laughs) Because right now James James is getting ready to copy edit. After we put our little playlist together, he's going to go and copy edit it. So I I didn't want to rush him necessarily. Sure. But the terrible thing is, is if we rush this, then then that's that's a disappointment to our audience and to people who contributed. So so so, you know. So hopefully currently there's. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry. No, I, I just wanted to say, so currently you have idea. two books available, correct? Tur- currently you uh, have three. the... Um, t- three books. So, so it's Times Reservoir, Times Reservoir, Mountains of Meditation. Mountains of Meditation, Voices of the Valley. Oh, Voices of the Valley was the third one. It's mm-hmm. Beyond the Pathway that's the, the going to be the latest. Yeah. I'm that's sorry, right. I had so that in the wrong order. Me, that's okay. Terrific. Look for that in September, okay? Terrific. Well, it's been a joy to get to know both of you, to share what what you have and your passion of what what you enjoy. I think you're very creative, and I've just thoroughly enjoyed having you guys join me today. This has really been great. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for your time. I've I've loved getting to know you. So please call me anytime. Text me. I'd love to come back. Okay. I would love that. Thank you, Steve and Garrett. Thank you all very much. Everybody have a great, safe week. It's funny because I'm actually having an author next week as well. And maybe that's just where I'm sitting right now. You know, that's sort of the law of attraction, isn't it? That's the secret. Mm. So until next time, everybody, be well, stay safe, and thank you once again, both Steve and Garrett, for joining me today. This has just been absolutely fabulous. 
Bye for now, everyone. Bye.